meditate on I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, your awesome majesty. Great is the Lord and great is to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I will extol you, my God and my King, and I'll bless your high and holy name forevermore. I will turn to the pages of the New Testament, we instantly are, are met with the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 3, we find out John the Baptist, who is preparing the way for the Lord, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Also in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, what we see right there is that Jesus himself starts proclaiming the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now, I think that sometimes we can do a pretty good job of recognizing that repentance means that we need to change from our life of sin. But you know, repentance is not always that we have to repent and change from sin. Sometimes it's just things that we do need to change. It's not always related to sin. So I want you to think about this because this is the exact situation that they found themselves at the beginning of the New Testament. If you knew that the Lord was going to visit you, what would you change about your life? Now, on that note, I want us to, this week and next week, take a look at what the Christian household is supposed to look at. Now, uh, what's supposed to look like, the Christian household, what it's supposed to look like. Now, this first part that we're going to be looking at is the marriage relationship, because this is so important. And it's also a message that, sadly, can easily get pushed aside um, in our day and age that we live in. But it is so important to what a Christian household is supposed to look like and what we as Christians are supposed to be. Now, whenever we look at a household, we are talking about something that far predates the church. Okay, This is something that, that comes on pretty much page one of the Bible. In fact, here's a little bit of a, uh, of a fun trivia type thing for you to think about. What is the first thing in the Bible that God says is not good? I'll give you just a little bit to think about it. I'll also tell you this. When you start to read from Genesis 1-1, you start to see that, that God, he's creating things and he says it's good, it's good, it's good. And then at the end of chapter 1, in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So he said everything was very good, but what was the first thing that was not good? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That's why we come to marriage. That's why we come to why it's so important. Um, and it's, it's so, so foundational to everything that we as a Christian household are supposed to be. Now, I'll also state this just up front because I don't want anybody to get confused about this. What we are mainly going to be looking at today is what the norm is going to be. Now, there are some exceptions because for one reason or another, marriage is not always um, going to be the way of a Christian. Now, there can be numerous reasons, but those typically, I believe at least, are going to be the exceptions to the rules. We're not going to be uh, looking too much into that. What we're going to be looking at is most of us as Christians are going to be married. We either already have been married, we've been married for a while, or you know we plan on getting married in the future. So whatever the case, this is typically how most of us are going to go through life, is married. So what does a Christian marriage look like? Let's see from Jesus himself what he says. Now, we're going to start with a passage that might seem a little strange to start with, especially whenever I begin reading. So in Matthew chapter 19, now regardless of what your Bible might say as the heading, I believe what we have right here is Jesus is teaching about marriage. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother 
and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, like I said, regardless of whatever your Bible has as the heading, I mean, mine, it says the heading is divorce. And I would say that most of your Bibles are probably going to say that Jesus is talking about divorce here. But I would suggest to you that that is what the question is about. The question is about divorce. But Jesus says, whoa, you've missed a step. Let's back up. Because how was it supposed to be at the beginning? So, yes, the question is on divorce, but the teaching is on marriage. The teaching goes back to the very beginning. And in fact, it might be worth your time to take a look at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and see what God intended for marriage. Because I don't think it's by accident that Jesus, when he's being questioned about these things, he goes back to Genesis. In fact, when you, when you look at his response beginning in verse 4 and going on down through verse 6, what we actually find is he quotes from Genesis chapter 1. And then just a little bit later, he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. Jesus is well aware of this history. He knows that they are well, of this, well aware of this history as well. And he is just trying to remind them, look, let's back up and let's not focus so much on divorce at first. Let's back up and let's focus on marriage because that's where it really needs to start. At the beginning, the creator made them, male and female, Adam and Eve. We see that they're the, the first um, human couple. And then we also find out that whenever Eve is created, what we see from, uh, from Adam is he makes that statement about how it's for this reason that a man, talking about himself, but also all men in general, they will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's how marriage is talked about. In fact, this might be a, um, uh, those verses that Jesus is quoting might be verses that uh, could be quoted in weddings today and, and oftentimes I'm sure are read. And that idea most certainly is there. And what Jesus is saying is, he says, look, let's go back to this beginning. And what I like to remind people of is when you go back to the male and female, this husband and wife that are created in Genesis 1 and 2, what you actually find is a very interesting situation there. Because when you think about how long marriage is supposed to last, it was supposed to be Adam and Eve, the male and the female, living, being married forever. And I want you to realize something about that statement that they would be married forever. Recognize that they had access to the tree of life. That quite literally meant they were going to live forever, which meant that God's idea of marriage was going to be one male and one female for life, all life. He was going to continue to give them life. That is why Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, yes, sometimes divorce is something that people do go through. And that's something that would have been, um, you know, known to the people of Jesus' day as well. I mean, it's, it's not like it just didn't exist. It did exist. And whenever it did exist... God, of course, gave instructions about how that was supposed to take place. Uh, the best explanation for the few verses that we're about to get into in just a moment, um, one of the best explanations for that is if you get some product now, you know, that has a user's manual to it, you're probably going to come across some section that is like troubleshooting, you know, if, if issues do arise and, and things like that. Now, that doesn't mean that the person who made that product is wanting you to have problems. It just means that they, they 
noticed that there could be some problems in some areas, so they wrote a little section trying to help you out with those areas and, and get back on track. So whenever God writes sections in the Bible about divorce and what to do in those situations, that doesn't mean that that's what he wants to happen. No, what he wants to happen is the other thing, the whole joining these two together and the two becoming one flesh. But just like it's without a doubt going to have your, a little bit of a troubleshooting section uh, in some type of a user manual today, we come across some of those passages in the Bibles. That, I think, is one of the best explanations for why we have these teachings uh, about divorce and how to handle those situations. I think if you were to ask somebody, uh, almost anybody who has uh, perhaps been through a divorce or, or um, you know, something along those lines, um, most people don't really view it as a positive thing. There's always going to be some type of negative repercussions from it somewhere or another. Now, uh, yes, there might be some Christians that uh, that is the situation that they find themselves in. But still, let's not get too far down that pathway. Let's back up just like what Jesus says and let's say, okay, well, from the beginning, what did God want? Okay, so how can we, how can we do uh, the best at getting uh, what God originally planned for us? And, you know, we might find different ways of being able to uh, obtain that for ourselves and be pleasing to God. But that's what the goal is, to, to be able to, to do this, that what God is, has planned. Now, if we keep reading, we find out just a little bit more. And this is what I was saying about that, uh, the user manual and the troubleshooting section. Because Jesus gets into a little bit about that too. Verses 7 through 12. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So we get into some of these exceptions to the rules, and I don't have as much to state on this section, except for the fact of what I want you to realize is Jesus, even still here, is trying to get them back to the beginning to recognize, okay, what was God's plan? What did he really want out of us as humans? Keep in mind, the first thing that God says was not good was, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, that, I, I don't believe that only applies just to marriage, but I believe it most certainly applies to marriage. I believe that we as people are not supposed to be um, separated for ever, from everybody else. We are supposed to be people, not just one person. We're supposed to be around other people. It's not good for man to be alone. So Jesus, he addresses some of these other things, and he addresses them in some kind of interesting ways. Uh, you know, keep in mind the audience of his day uh, might take things a little different and might have a little different way of looking at it uh, than people of our day. But I think that it is so important to, to listen to Jesus and try to understand uh, what we should be doing in order to be pleasing um, in his sight. And sometimes these questions that we might have, sometimes we might need to back up and think, okay, what does God really want? How did God really set it out for us to be? Now, one interesting thing about this 
uh, that we get from Jesus himself is that, you know, Jesus, he was never married. And that's kind of interesting. He goes so much into marriage, right? And and he, he speaks about it um, as, as something that they should be involved in, you know, the, the listeners of him. Now, he himself was never married. And let's look at another passage who, interestingly enough, it's written by another man who he himself, we have no indication that he was married. And that's the Apostle Paul. But I want you to notice what he says, because recognize Jesus is speaking by the authority and the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so is the Apostle Paul. So it is God who is who is delivering these things to us. And this message is important for us to hear today. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians and see what Paul says there. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see that marriage, of course, is made up of wives and also husbands. And Paul addresses wives and husbands. He starts off in Ephesians 5, 21 through 24. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, this is where we start to get into these, these situations. And as we look at this, um, it might be easy for people of our culture to look at this and to kind of explain these things away. Or maybe even say that this might be a little bit old-fashioned, that this is what, uh, what Paul was suggesting during his day, and, and that, is, that is that. But what I actually want you to do is I want you to read this uh, with your eyes of faith wide open. And recognize this plan that God has placed here to happen uh, within marriage, to happen within our Christian households. Now, I also don't think it's fair for us to start just in verse 22 because you need to recognize verse 21 exists. See, verse 21, it tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, sometimes we can focus in verse 22 that Paul says for wives to submit to their husbands. But I want you to notice it's not just wives who are called to submit. We also are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what would that look like? It might look a little bit different in your life and in your marriage than it does in my life and in my marriage. But what would it look like if we followed these things through? If we lived this Christian life? If we were uh, actively trying to make a Christian household to be our household? We would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some of the things that are stated about wives, of course, is this submitting to their husbands. Why do they need to submit to their husbands? A lot of the answers to this, it goes back to um, even the first few pages of the Bible. And we see that some of these things are explained, uh, are explained in the story of the Bible. With Adam and Eve, and we see uh, some of the, the challenges and the difficulties that they were supposed to step up and they didn't. And where they fell short and then God says, okay, well, this is how it's going to be. And what he did in the plan of God is that he set up husbands to be the spiritual leaders of their household. That's what it means to be a Christian household. And the wives are called to submit to their husbands. But now notice something very special about it. Because it says, as you do to the Lord. See, all of this understanding that we have about the church and about Christian households, it needs to be under this umbrella, so to speak, about how we also are called to submit to the Lord. How everything about not just the wives, but also what the husbands are going to be told in just a few verses. All of this has to do with going back to the example of the Lord or submitting to the Lord or, or being part of the church in some ways. And we see this relationship 
between Christ and his church and, and the, the connections that are made in this passage. Notice those passages. Notice the connection. Notice how just like the church is called to submit to Christ being the head, that's also how wives are called to submit. Now that, you know, of course that means that we can have our own input and our own say, and of course we are our own person, but yet there still is this submissiveness that needs to happen, this submission, that we as the church, we must submit to Christ. Well, wives are called to submit to their husbands. Now, it doesn't end there, and I don't think that we need to read down upon women. Okay, recognize that if anything, whenever Jesus set foot on this earth, he lifted up the role of women uh, all, all over, like in, in all these different ways. You know, we might look at it and we might think that he was really kind of suppressing their role and, and suppressing, you know, them as, as people. But he, he wasn't. He was lifting them up. And he constantly is. And he is raising the standard of his day. And he is also, if we choose to listen to it, he's raising the standard of our own day, too, because this is how a marriage, this is how a family a Christian household is supposed to work. Now, husbands don't get off completely free. There's also a big call for us as husbands. Verses 25 through 31. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Do you recognize that Paul, once again, he's going back to this original way that, that God has set things up. He's quoting, once again, from Genesis chapter 2, where marriage was established, where the household is what, what it's supposed to look like. We get those ideas, we get those images all the way back from the beginning of creation. So now, as we come here, we've seen that wives are called to submit. But what about husbands? They are called to love their wives. And notice, it's the same type of, of love that uh, we see just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, of course, Paul lists several ways, and the list can go on even more than just what Paul lists right here. But notice, this is the type of love that husbands are called to have. We are called to love our wives just like Christ has loved the church. That's a high standard. That's a high bar. This is actually a high calling for husbands to step up and to be the spiritual leaders of their household, to love their wives to guide their wives, just as Christ loves the church and just as Christ has guided the church. We also find out in verses 32 and 33 that Paul actually confesses something. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So this passage that we're looking at, and we're, we're seeing about how a Christian household is supposed to behave and what it's supposed to look like, all this comes down to Christ and the church. In fact, Paul tells us that's actually what I'm talking about. He says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. He says that in verse 32. But we see the lessons, the lessons that are displayed through Christ and his church are supposed to be carried over into our households so that we can become the Christian household 
so that whenever Christ does return, because we do believe he's going to return, don't we? Well, we can know that whenever he does return, he will find our household to be one that is pleasing, one that is Christ-centered. Now, I also have one final passage I want us to look at. Because, yes, I told you that, that we have no uh, record that Paul was ever married. And I said that Jesus was never married, and he wasn't, not here on earth. But we see that Christ does have the church. And that church is actually described as the bride of Christ. We see that, and, and we've, we kind of began this study in the book of Genesis, and I think it's very fitting for us to end in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 21, I just want to end by reading this description, and I want you to, to try to imagine and think about what this day will be like and how exciting it is whenever the groom catches a glimpse of his bride uh, coming down the aisle, so to speak. Notice this right here of Jesus. Revelation 21 verses 9 through 11. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. The description goes on, but it describes this, this sight of the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb. Let's think about these images. Let's imitate these images. Let's make sure that our household is a Christian household. Let's make sure that our marriages are pleasing and acceptable in the sight of Christ. Oh,